The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with Wall Street coming off of its worst day since March as surging interest rates trigger a new round of market turmoil. And not just here at home, overseas, over in Europe, it's following Asia's lead to the downside as Japanese bonds hit their highest level in a decade. Then we turn to Washington, the House kicking off its first day without a speaker after Kevin McCarthy was ousted by far-right members of his own party and every Democrat in the House. Plus, the season of strikes set to grow even larger today, with more than 75,000 Kaiser Permanente workers possibly walking off the job. And then later, we have a rare downgrade for Apple. Why KeyBank says it's taking a fresh look at the stock. It is Wednesday, October the 4th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. You can see right here in the red across the board, the Dow looks like it would open up about 30 points lower right now. So this, after the Dow posted its worst day since March, falling nearly 1.3%. Similar story for the NASDAQ and the S&P 500, both of them closing down 1.8% and 1.3% respectively on the day. We also want to look at the Russell 2000, went negative for the year and is seen as a leading indicator of a possible U.S. recession. You see the move I'm sorry, this is actually Dow Dow Transports. Dow Transports also just dipped below its 200-day moving average. You see the move right here on the far right hand of your screen. Year-to-date up 9.6%, but as we mentioned, falling below its 200-day moving average for the first time since June. So all of this, we continue to track the really wild moves in treasuries. We're talking about the 5, the 10, and the 30, now all trading at their highest level since 2007, with a 30-year long bond hovering right around 5%. I'm going to move this circle off the screen, but... 4.93, 4.93, something we continue to watch. The 30-year seen as an economic indicator by many economists, seen as a, a look into also inflation expectations as investors. They want a higher yield on this long bond if they expect inflation to be higher. Important to note, the benchmark right now at 4.8. A lot of uh, thoughts and forecasts that we could see this right here move all the way up to 5%. We'll talk a lot more about that later in the show. So the bond sell-off also triggering a VIX rally, the so-called fear index, now sitting at a six-month high. We're seeing it right now. At 20 right now, you can see throughout the year, just a few weeks ago, it was all the way down here. Throughout the year, it got up right around the 25 range. That was earlier in the year. We were really worried about the recession. Uh, right now, we're seeing it back at about 20. Okay, that's our U.S. setup. Let's now turn to the overnight action overseas. We're going to turn it over to our Jamana Brissetti, live in our London newsroom. Jamana. Hi, Frank. Well, you talk about some of the downtrades you've been witnessing overnight in U.S. markets, also Asian markets as well. But today, the picture in Europe is somewhat resilient given the moves we've had in bond yields. You can see it's a pretty a mixed picture. We've got the FTSE 100 trading around the flat line just below that 7,500 mark. We are seeing the likes of miners, commodities names come under selling pressure. But on the flip side, we've got Tesco and other grocers right at the top of the British index uh, after Tesco posted better than expected profit outlook for the year. Kekahonsi 
sitting at 7,000. And as you know, we've been talking a lot about the luxury space within the Cacarons basket. Today, we are seeing some stabilization there, though, of course, we continue to see downward pressure on autos. So Renault at the bottom of the Cacarons, also a theme for the DAX as well. Some of the autos, industrials coming under pressure. Also, Commerce Bank down 3% in trading today for the German index, sitting at around 15,000. Let me just draw your attention very quickly to SMI. One stock we're watching there is Novartis. The stock is up today after formally spinning off its generics business, Sandoz. So again, that's a story we've been monitoring. But let me just take you to yields, because similar to the U.S., the price action in Europe has been quite uh, marked as well. So we are seeing the 10-year bund this morning got to just above 3%. This is the highest level we've been at since 2011. So in line with the U.S., we are seeing yields move higher and higher. 10-year gilts in the U.K. up at 4.62 as well. Worth noting that 30-year gilts within the U.K. are at their highest level since 2002. 10-year France at 3.53. Yesterday, we moved up about six basis points. And then finally, 10-year BTPs, that's the Italian bond, sitting at 4.93. So if you take the difference between the two, we're very close to 200 basis points between where the Italian bond yield is trading and the German bond yield. Some people are saying that some of those credit concerns are beginning to bubble again. And all of that is having ramifications on where euro, the currency, is trading, Frank, which is also getting back down to very close levels to parity once more. We're sitting at around 104 here. So as some concerns bubbling beneath the surface in Europe. Germana, thank you very much. Our Germana Brissetti live in our London newsroom. Let's now get over to JP Ong in Singapore with the overnight action over in Asia. JP, what are you seeing there? Uh, good morning to you guys out there in New York. And yes, a similar story, actually. We're seeing ex- losses extended, uh, extending out here in the Asia-Pacific from Tokyo to Taipei. And we're seeing a lot of this also reacting, uh, the reaction and the focus on where U.S. bond yields and global bond yields are actually heading. Now, again, it's not as if the Federal Reserve uh, officials at least said anything different. They did say that rates will stay higher for longer. It's a statement that they've reiterated many times. But when it sends the U.S. 10-year-yield ab- uh, to its highest level about 16 years, well, that does uh, dampen sentiment significantly even out here in the Asia-Pacific. Now, there's two particular markets you want to take note of. One is the South Korean markets, the Kospi in Seoul, which did come back from an extended two-day holiday. And this time around, the losses that greeted them actually hit them pretty hard as they're playing catch-up with the rest of the region that's really been on a downtrend since the start of the week. The Kospi falling by more than 2% so far today's session. A lot of tech-related stocks. They're also sensitive to these bond yield movements, just also pulling down on the South Korean benchmark in Seoul. Japanese markets also worth looking at, but a lot of this also with questions with regards to yen volatility. Now, the Japanese yen, we did see flirt, actually, with 150 against the greenback yesterday, and then suddenly come down and strengthen significantly, hinting at potential a potential intervention, at least, from uh, from officials out in Tokyo. Now, certain officials from Tokyo did say that, they, they're, that they're still watching this, but did say that they could intervene if volatility is excessive. And we're seeing the, the yen again, something close to watch right now, as it's once again starting to at least show signs of inching back up towards that 150 level. All of this uncertainty, perhaps, also feeding into the Japanese markets with the Nikkei 225 also falling into today's session. Keep in mind, mainly Chinese markets are offline for that extended golden week period. But the Hang Seng today is open in Hong Kong, and they also fell. Just take a look at a number of uh, at the major indices there. From the tech index, which also fell on the back of those rising U.S. bond yields, but also with the um, Bainland Property Index also falling because there are concerns, actually, of a uh, continued slowdown in the Chinese property sector. In fact, this could also feed into Hong Kong. Societe Generale did say that they might see rents or property prices in Hong Kong fall by another 15% next year if the downturn and if rates continue to stay this high and thus showing that very bleak picture for how markets closed on hump day here in Asia. Back to you. 
JP, thank you very much. Our JP Ong live in Singapore. All right, turn our attention back to Wall Street and Treasury yields. They continue to surge with the 10-year hovering right around 4.8%. That's its highest level in 16 years. Yield on the benchmark is up more than 24% this year alone. PIMCO co-founder and former Bond King Bill Gross telling Last Call Last Night. He believes there is still more room to run. The market certainly is oversold at the moment um, in anticipation of Treasury supplies, um, in anticipation of uh, higher for longer in terms of the Fed and the Fed's own quantitative tightening program. I think maybe 5% caps it for the near term. It depends, of course, on inflation, depends on economic growth. We'll see going forward. All right, let's talk much more about this with Robert Teeter, Head of Investment Policy and Strategy at Silvercrest Asset Management. Robert, good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning, Frank. Thanks for having me on. All right, so we just heard from the former bond king, Bill Gross, just there. Do you agree with him? Do you see the 10-year yield hitting 5% this year as we see the 30-year, the long bond, very close to 5% right now? Well, I think the bond market's been following the Fed here. And if you look at Fed projections, the dot plot um, out to next year, Central tendencies are around 5%. If you look at futures and expectations for Fed funds, um, those are around 5% about a year out as well. So I do think we could head a little bit higher on on yields here. Um, I think we're getting closer to a point of stabilization, but there is a bit room to go higher since we have, again, Fed funds uh, still looking above 5% for the foreseeable future. All right. So a lot of people call Bill Gross the former bond king. We also heard from the current bond king uh, via X last night. This is, of course, Jeffrey Gunlock. He said this in part. I want to read this to you. The U.S. Treasury yield curve is de-inverting very rapidly. It was 108 basis points a few months ago. Now it's at 35 basis points. Should put everyone on recession warning, not just recession watch. If the unemployment rate ticks up just a couple of tenths, it will be recession alert. He finishes off with buckle up. So what about the current banking? Agree with his assessment. Well, I think that's an interesting insight as well. I do think these high rates are starting to weigh on economic growth. We're seeing a, a big slowdown in terms of momentum on the economy. Of course, there are multiple indicators. So the Atlanta Fed numbers are still quite high. The New York Fed numbers are a bit lower. Uh, and then you have these powerful recession indicators like the inverted yield curve. And so momentum is slowing down on the economy. Uh, I'm not expecting recession anytime soon. The job gains have been quite strong. Uh, historically, you've had one to two quarters of slowing economic growth before going into recession. Uh, the last two quarters, of course, have been reasonably strong. So I think the recession may still be a ways out there in the future, but the economy is slowing for sure. You know, we're doing a lot of bond talk, Robert. I want to ask you one question about equities. Uh, according to your research, you're saying that the full year EPS estimates for the S&P next year are actually going to influence the market in Q4. So you have an estimate of about 8 percent. I'm looking at facts that they're just about 12 percent. That's growth right there. Um, give us a sense. How important is the full year EPS estimate for next year for Q4? And, and tell us why. I think it will become very important very soon. So I think we have a convergence of factors here. I do think yields will start to stabilize a bit, um, perhaps now, perhaps a little bit higher from now. And then when you get into earnings season, we'll start to get a lot of color on what 2024 looks like. And I think it's going to look decent. Um, there's been a lot of work that companies have put in on the basis of this slowing economy to help margins. And so I think even with the slowing economic backdrop, earnings can be quite solid. Um, we're a little bit lower than the street in terms of earnings estimate. I think that's typical. The street overreacts a little bit, gets a little optimistic. Um, but I do think next year can be a decent year for earnings. And I think that will start to matter relatively soon. All right, Robert Teeter, great to see you. Thank you very much. Appreciate you being here. Thanks, Frank. All right, with all this talk about 5% rates and higher for longer, tune in for our special week-long coverage starting on Monday, looking across several sectors of the economy to see what surging rates mean for the markets and for your money in the months ahead. That's next week. We're going to look at this new 
potentially 5% world. A lot to talk about there. All right, turning our attention now to Washington, D.C., and developments around that historic vote to remove Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker and what it could mean for fiscal policymaking and the U.S. credit rating with the possibility of another shutdown showdown in mid-November. NBC's Bree Jackson joins me now with the D.C. drama. I think that's a phrase we're going to use a lot, Bree, as we continue to talk to you throughout this. Drama, chaos, you can use a couple of different words there uh, after what we saw yesterday and what's expected moving forward. But Kevin McCarthy's removal as speaker comes less than nine months after he was elected to that job, and it has thrown the Republican Party even, uh, into even more chaos. The chair declares the House in recess subject to the call of the chair. A sense of frustration from some lawmakers following the historic decision to oust Kevin McCarthy from his job as House Speaker. The move comes after heavy criticism from hard-right conservatives who slammed his decision to work with Democrats to avoid a government shutdown. Doing the right thing isn't always easy, but it is necessary. I don't regret standing up for choosing governing over grievance. Florida Representative Matt Gates led the motion to vacate. It's the benefit of this country that we have a better Speaker of the House than Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy couldn't keep his word. Only eight members of the GOP voted to remove McCarthy. Democrats sealed his fate. Nobody trusts Kevin McCarthy, and why should we? McCarthy's removal has further divided Republicans. It's disgusting. It's what's disgusting about Washington. We're all adults here. We're all about making deals and negotiating, and that's the way this place works. Now, lawmakers must decide who will lead the House majority moving forward. McCarthy says he will not run for speaker again. And Representative Patrick McHenry from North Carolina now serves as temporary speaker, and he plans to hold an election for a permanent replacement next week. Frank. All right. Our Bree Jackson live in D.C. Bree, always great to see you. Thank you very much. All right. We got a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, the rate shock hitting oil prices as OPEC Plus kicks off a production meeting today. We have RBC's Halima Croft. She's here to weigh in. And the season of strikes set to grow by one more as thousands of Kaiser Permanente workers get set to walk off the job. We debate the broader economic impacts. And then later, Meta reporting looking to axe some staff working on its metaverse ambitions. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one Ask your doctor about Cosentix. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. 
edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We are watching the price of oil this morning. Brent, that's the global benchmark, continues to trade at its lowest level in three weeks, hovering just, 90, uh, just above 90 bucks a barrel. Investors and energy traders fearing higher for longer interest rates are expected to pump the brakes on global fuel demand. Take a look at this chart. You can see it right here on your screen. That sharp move higher in the 10-year yield, corresponding with an inverse move for WTI. You can see the two of them crossing uh, right there on Monday. All this ahead of a panel meeting of OPEC plus ministers today with Saudi Arabia already saying will continue its voluntary cuts of one million barrels per day until the end of this year. Joining me now is Lima Croft, RBC Capital Markets Managing Director, Global Head of Commodity Strategy and a CNBC contributor. Halima, good morning. It is always great to have you here. Thank you for having me on. All right. So, Halima, it seems like it was just about a week ago. Everybody was talking about $100 a barrel Brent. Do you still see that as a possibility at least this year? I mean, we certainly see it as a possibility. I mean, right now, though, the market is more focused on broader macro concerns. Obviously, higher for longer and some profit taking is impacting oil. But the fundamental picture does remain strong. And we're going to be looking for the inventory data that comes out of the EIA today. APIs are already showing draws. So the question is, what does the actual demand picture look like? If we continue to see inventory draws, combined with the Saudi action, that remains a strong fundamental backdrop for oil. All right. I want to talk to you about profit-taking, short-selling, and uh, the Saudi energy minister, Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman, in just a minute. But i got to talk to you about the rates right now. So we're seeing the 10-year moving higher at 4.8% right now, the long bond at almost 5%. How does that impact the energy market, specifically the oil market? I mean, again, I think that the biggest headwind for oil, and we've said this throughout the year, has been concerns about rate hikes and the sense that this would lead to a contraction in demand. But what is so interesting is you do have macro sellers basically saying rate hikes, poor demand, but the fundamental picture has still held up despite these broader macro concerns. So certainly oil gets caught up in this broader macro story. But the question is, are we really seeing a contraction in demand? At this point, we don't see any evidence of that. All right. So you actually spoke to the Saudi energy minister just about a week ago. So he told you, quote unquote, the jury's still out when it comes to the future of their cuts. He cited things like China demand is one factor. Uh, European manufacturing is another factor. Do you believe that we're going to see cuts for longer? Maybe they'd even extend throughout 2024. I mean, what's so interesting, Frank, is the criteria that he used, you just mentioned, included central bank action. And so Prince Abdelaziz throughout this year has basically said that Saudi Arabia will be watching very closely what Jerome Powell and other central banks do in terms of rate hikes. And so in a higher for longer situation, you have to assume that the Saudis and the rest of OPEC are going to continue to restrict supply. And so this is one of the factors when they make this cut decision. And yes, they're going to review it every month. But the question is, in the current environment where their macro concerns resurfacing, do you see any exit ramp for this production cut? You know, I'm sure a lot of your clients were asking the same question. When he says the jury is still out, does that mean that he's going to consult with the other OPEC ministers or does Saudi Arabia just make a unilateral decision on its own and what's good for its production and its price? No, I mean, I do think there is absolutely a consultative process. I think the Saudis, when they made that decision in June, were basically like, we're going to take the lead. We are going to bear the burden of adjustment to bring this market back into balance. And so I do think that Saudi consults broadly with the rest of OPEC Plus 
And most notably, you can actually see that Russia filed Saudi's actions today with their own extension of their 300,000 barrel a day cut. So again, it's Saudi leading, but I think the Saudis are also acting in consultation with the rest of OPEC. All right, looking at Brent crude right now, just 15 cents above, 90 bucks a barrel. Who better to have on a day like this to talk about rates and oil than Halima Croft? Halima, thank you so much. Great to have you here. Thank you for having me. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, what Ford is telling striking union workers as their walkouts enter their third week, we have the full story when we come back right here on Worldwide Exchange. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good Wednesday morning to you. Well, three weeks into the strikes and Ford says it's, quote, seventh and strongest offer to striking UAW workers is on the bargaining table. One that promises no job losses related to EV battery production. The company says it made this latest offer Monday night, but did not put a number on the wage increase, only to say it would put UAW represented jobs among the top 25 percent of all U.S. jobs, hourly and salaried. No comment from the UAW yet. Shares of Intel moving higher in the pre-market. The company says it plans to spin off its programmable chip unit through an IPO in the next two to three years. Ahead of the move, the unit will be treated as a standalone business with its own balance sheet. Intel plans to retain a majority stake in the new company. And Meta is reportedly planning to lay off employees in its metaverse-focused reality labs today. According to Reuters, affected workers were informed of the potential layoffs yesterday with officials' decisions today. Meta's reality labs is developing custom silicone chips for the company's continued push into the metaverse, Frank. Yeah, Meta shares down about a half a percent right now in extended hours. I do have to say, I'm not sure about the future of the metaverse, but it looks better. It It, does, right? Yeah, 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 based on what we're hearing. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right, Sabana, thank you very much. We'll see you later in the show. All right, as we head to break, we have today's big consumer stat. It is 64% of U.S. consumers believe the country is already in an economic recession. That's according to a September consumer sentiment study from research firm Numerator. Looking ahead, 65% think the economy will get worse and 74%, almost three quarters, think inflation will increase over the next few months. Up next, we'll see if the growing list of striking unions could just add to that expectation of economic pain. We've got much more Worldwide Exchange coming up. Stay with us. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's just a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. Stocks are set to extend yesterday's losses after the Dow crosses into negative territory for the year, and bond yields continue to surge. D.C. adding to the investor wall of worry with the historic vote to remove Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker. We are live in Washington with what happens next. And the summer of strikes spilling into the fall with workers at a major health care provider preparing to hit the picket line today. It is Wednesday, October the 4th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. 
And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start this day. As always, we pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures with the Dow coming off its worst day since March, now in negative territory for the year. Take a look at futures. You can see red across the board right now. Now, Right now, the Dow actually off of its lows of earlier this morning, looking like it'll open up about 10 points lower right now. The S&P and both the Nasdaq fractionally lower this right now as well. So, of course, a big part of this story is the bond market. The 5, the 10, and the 30 now all trading at their highest level since 2007, with the 30-year long bond right now hovering right around 5%, 4.93. We see the 10-year note at 4.81. So back to the 30-year for a moment. This is really important. This is seen as a big economic indicator of inflation expectations and also investor confidence. Obviously, higher yield shows that investors, they want a premium right now. We're also watching a fresh leading indicator of a possible U.S. recession. We're looking at the Dow Transports just dipping just below its 200-day moving average for the first time since June. We've got to bring you all the way over here. But right here, you see the, the uh, freight and transportation index falling just below that 200-day moving average. We've seen big declines in both airlines and also UPS after prolonged labor negotiation with the Teamsters. All right, that's your U.S. setup. Now we're going to look overseas. After a rough session overnight in Asia that saw Japan and Hong Kong fall more than 2%, Let's check on trading and how it's shaping up in Europe and Asia. We have our Arabile Goumide, who is live in our London newsroom with much more on the overseas action. Arabile, good morning. It is always great to see you. Yeah, good morning, Frank. Good to see you too, man. So clearly the market has been impacted then by what has happened, whether it be on the economic front. Of course, we've got some manufacturing data having come out even yesterday uh, out, of the, uh, out of Europe then and really showing that manufacturing not necessarily doing too well. Even today, services PMI numbers out of uh, the, uh, the likes of Spain uh, certainly coming out today and impacting this market picture. We saw a big dip off of around more than 1% yesterday in this European trading picture. Today, we had started off half a percent weaker, but we've managed, actually managed to pull back a little bit from those lows and are seeing a few gains coming through uh, as well. And even on those negative numbers, the DAX was the biggest loser at some point. Now it's sitting really marginally on that flat line. Of course, we are taking a look uh, at some company news then, the likes of Sandoz, uh, the split off then from Novartis coming through into play uh, then today out in the Swiss market, which is up around tenth of a percent. But Sandoz has managed to dip off, unfortunately, today, with Novartis, however, managing to head higher, even though we thought it would go the opposite way. The bond market has been the one, of course, that we've all watched out quite considerably then today. The 10-year bond yield out in uh, the UK then at 4.61%. In fact, the 10-year out in Germany had even reached that 3% mark a little bit earlier on, now dipping just below that, but still relatively higher across the board. Even the French 10-year sitting at its highest mark since December 2012, should I say then, Frank. So clearly bond yields across the board headed higher. Uh, absolutely. Something we continue to talk about here on Worldwide Exchange. Arabile Goumide, live in our London newsroom. Arabile, thank you very much. All right, now we're going to bring it back to the States. We're going to turn to Washington, D.C. and developments around that historic vote to remove Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker. Republicans now working to figure out who will take that position next, only adding to D.C. drama with lawmakers needing to secure a government funding deal in just over a month. Our Emily Wilkins joins us now with the very latest on what is going on in our nation's capital. Emily, a lot to cover here. Uh, absolutely a lot, Frank. Yesterday, eight Republicans joined with Democrats to oust Kevin McCarthy from the speakership. And while McCarthy maintained a lot of support from the majority of his conference, he announced last night that he would not run again. 
So I may have lost a vote today, but as I walk out of this chamber, I feel fortunate to have served the American people. The House can't pass any legislation until a new speaker is chosen, but instead of going straight into votes like what we saw in January, Republicans are going to take a week to regroup. They'll be back next Tuesday, they'll meet and hear from different candidates who want to run for speaker, and then they'll make their choice. And then once Republicans have a candidate, votes will begin on the House floor. That could happen as soon as Wednesday. Now, several lawmakers, including House Majority Leader Steve Scalise, are exploring a potential run for the speakership. And yes, yeah, Scalise's name has come up a lot from members who have said that they would support him. Matt Gates told me after the vote yesterday that he would be open to backing Scalise, saying that he would be a phenomenal speaker. But Gates also said that members really do need to grapple with the outcome. This is the first time that a speaker has been ousted. Listen to what he told me. The stages of grief, I think, are uh, in progress right now with some of my colleagues. I think there was a stage of denial, and I've certainly experienced a good amount of their anger, and now we appear to be headed toward bargaining. I think the world of Steve Scalise, I think he'd make a phenomenal speaker. In addition to Scalise, other members that have uh, other members have come out and said they would back Congressman Jim Jordan, and some even say that they would nominate former President Trump because obviously the speaker does not need to be a member of the House of Representatives. Whoever gets the job is going to need to hit the ground running, though. Congress faces another funding deadline on November 17th, and there is a high chance that another stopgap measure is going to be needed to prevent a government shutdown. Frank? Certainly a lot going on down in D.C. I, I want to ask you specifically about Moody's. Uh, Moody's already warned that political brinkmanship in D.C. and also derailed fiscal policy could hurt the U.S. credit rating currently at the top level at AAA. Do you think this, this drama over the House Speaker, does this move the needle when it comes to the U.S. credit rating? I think for a lot of Republicans, they're hoping that it won't. And I think that's why you're seeing this break right now. Republicans want to make sure that the next time there's a vote on the floor for Speaker, they are united and united behind one candidate. Now, how they get united, who that one candidate's going to be, uh, whether it'll be Scalise or Jordan or someone else, I think really remains to be seen. But Republicans understand that they have a problem right now with unity in their party, and they're really trying to get back uh, to the point where they can kind of all act as one. Yeah, certainly a lot going on. I, heard, I had not heard the part about President Trump possibly being nominated as House Speaker. Uh, interesting development there. Emily Wilkins, live in D.C. Always great reporting. Great to have you here. All right, we're going to go from Thanks, that Frank. drama in D.C. to the growing wave of labor strikes across the U.S., another potentially set to begin today. More than 75,000 workers at Kaiser Permanente. That's the largest nonprofit private health care provider in the U.S. They're now preparing to hit the picket line. Our Bertha Coombs joins us now with more on this developing story. Bertha, good morning. Good morning, Frank. This would be massive. Barring a last-minute reprieve, Kaiser Permanente staffers will be hitting the bricks at the top of the hour, stop, starting with about 200 ophthalmologists and pharmacists at Kaiser's Virginia and Washington, D.C. facilities. They've authorized a 24-hour workout. Now, workers at facilities in Colorado, Washington State, Oregon and California have voted to strike until uh, 6 a.m. on Saturday, that is three days, with their walkout set to begin at 6 a.m. 
local time. This would mark the nation's largest ever health care strike, involving eight unions representing 75,000 workers. 65,000 of them in California were Kaiser Permanente's based, ranging from lab techs, x-ray techs, vocational nurses, home therapists, and other support staff, amounting to about 40 percent of Kaiser's national workforce. Key issues include wages, staffing, and subcontracting of jobs. Now, Kaiser tells CNBC that talks are ongoing even as the strike deadline looms. It's offered pay increases of 125 to 16% over four years, they say, minimum $21 an hour in most locations, $23 in Southern California, and that the hospital has hired 50,000 workers over the last two years to try to boost staffing, which is one of the issues here. You know, today's walkout, if it happens, would mark the seventh healthcare industry strike this year. The sector already accounts for one-third of major union walkouts, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And it may not be the last one. 4,000 tenant healthcare workers at 11 facilities in California, represented by the same union coalition as Kaiser, have authorized a strike if a deal in their case is not reached by October 19th. A lot of labor unrest within healthcare, Frank. Uh, apparently so, Bertha. So I want to ask you about this Kaiser Permanente situation right now. Um, you said that we're very close to having a strike. It seems almost inevitable. If it does happen, how long are you expecting this to last? Well, this initial round is for three days. If history is any guide, though, when it's these larger union groups, they don't last very long in the case of Kaiser. They've had smaller groups that have gone out. They had engineers who were out for about three months. They had mental health workers who were out for about two months. But when you get these big, big representative groups, usually it doesn't last that long. So we'll see this first round of three days, and the hospital says, Kaiser says it is prepared. It has, you know, really uh, strategic things that they can do in terms of emergencies to be able to cover that during these three days. All right, Bertha, thank you very much. Our Bertha Coombs, the latest on this uh, story right here, potentially another strike here in the U.S. Bertha, thank you. All right, well, the strike at Kaiser Permanente, just the latest in a growing list of union actions across the country that's hitting multiple sectors of the economy, from healthcare to autos and entertainment. Let's discuss this further now with Seth Harris, former acting labor secretary under President Obama and former deputy director of the National Economic Council under President Biden. We're also joined by James Pethokoukis, economic policy analyst at the American Enterprise Institute, a CNBC contributor and the author of the new book, The Conservative Futurist, How to Create the Sci-Fi World We Were Promised. Gentlemen, it's great to have you both here. Good morning, Frank. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Seth, I'm going to start with you. Um, give us a sense, in your mind, how impactful are these strikes? We're talking about a, you know, a couple hundred thousand workers here in the U.S. economy, if you want to include also the potential of another strike at Kaiser Permanente. They're immensely impactful for workers. The increase in worker activism, the increase in worker organizing, and certainly the increase in strike activity has shown that workers are going to fight to increase their investment and uh, the employer's investment in them. Uh, so I think it's meaningful for workers around the country. I don't think it has 
really significant wide-scale economic effects, national economic effects. It's not going to, for example, shave uh, uh, the GDP in any meaningful way. But I think it does demonstrate that workers are quite angry and they want more from their employers. They want a fairer share of employers' profits. Employers have been doing quite well over the last decade. Um, so I think in that way, it is a meaningful action for working people in the United States. So, Seth, it's pretty interesting. You say it's not going to hit GDP in a quote-unquote meaningful way. Jimmy, I'm going to come over to you. You came to us about 10 days ago with some data that the UAW strike at at all the big three, if it goes on, could hit GDP as much of a, as much as a tenth of a percent per week. Um, are you still sticking with that estimate, or does it have the potential to even have broader ranging impact in your mind? I think it's it's sort of like you know the government shutdown, in which it's it can hit GDP, but the expectation is that on the other side of the strike or the other side of a government shutdown, that you'll get that you'll get a bounce back, and you know on net it won't make much difference. Uh, I think I think longer term, what this, what this tells me is that we have a really tight labor market right now, and in some cases, as with the UAW or what we saw with the Hollywood writer strike, there was a uh, you know concern about technological change. But I don't think fundamentally the long term trend of deunionization is going to change. I don't think that's what these strikes mean. Again, I think they reflect a tight labor market, and I would guess the percentage of American workers covered by unions ten years from now is going to be a smaller number than it is today. All right. So, Seth, I want to come back over to you. Let's talk about the U.S. credit rating and the risk to that. So about 10 days ago, Moody's issued a warning that if there was a shutdown, the U.S. credit rating could be downgraded. That certainly didn't happen, at least not now. A temporary decision was made to push that back down to November. But Moody also cited intensifying political polarization. So is House Speaker McCarthy being moved uh, out of the House Speaker role? Does that count, you think, in Moody's mind? Are we at risk of a credit downgrade? Well, anytime you have the kind of chaos that we're seeing in Washington, it it you know, roils markets, it threatens uh, the credit rating, um, mostly because there's real concern that we will not be able to get to any kind of a meaningful resolution. That's what the concern about polarization is about. You know, the politics is about the art of the possible. What we're seeing in Washington right now is really literally impossible. You can't govern without a speaker. And uh, there's a lot of risk to our politics as well as to our economy that we just simply will not be able to make the kinds of decisions we need to make in order to run the government and run the country. So I, I, I'm not worried about it in the near term, but if it's the kind of thing that persists and if we see repeated government shutdowns, if we see threats to the, to the debt limit after the, the deal expires in a year or two, I, I think that that is going to be a meaningful risk to the credit rating of the United States. So, Jimmy, same question for you. Should we worry about the U.S. credit rating right now, AAA, the highest level? Well, again, I, you know, there's a difference between the debt ceiling debate, which is a huge risk, and a government shutdown, which I don't think fundamentally is a real risk. Now, listen, uh, you know, I think Republicans, at least some Republicans, maybe not many, would say that, you know, Moody should be encouraged by this because that means they're worried about spending and they're worried about the, you know, the, the rising debt and long-term big, you know, structural deficits. Uh, I, I'm not sure I buy that case because this is not about entitlement reform. It's about these kind of, you know, very, you know, you know, harsh uh, discretionary spending cuts. But some Republicans might say that, though I don't think Moody's at this point is listening to that argument. 
All right, Seth Harris and Jimmy Pethokoukis, great to have you both here, especially on a day like this where there's so much weighing on the economy. Great to, uh, again, thank you for your insight. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we have some souring sentiment around Apple as it gets a rare downgrade by one firm. We have the full details coming up when Worldwide Exchange returns. Back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your morning call sheet. We begin with KeyBank downgrading its rating on Apple, moving it to sector weight. It believes the valuation of the tech giant is trading near an all-time high and says U.S. sales of its new iPhone will likely struggle due to upgrade rates and carrier promotions being restrictive. Shares of Apple right now down 1% in the pre-market. And UBS initiating coverage of Fiverr, giving it a buy rating and a price target of $33. UBS saying the online marketplace for freelance services has seen job listings stabilizing, and it sees significant upside from current share prices. Shares of Fiverr right now up one and a quarter percent. And it's time now for your global briefing. We're going to begin with Asian markets sinking to an 11-month low as surging Treasury yields and the rising U.S. dollar put pressure on global bonds, equity valuations, and other currencies. This following the Bank of Japan's unscheduled purchase of more than $4.5 billion worth of Japanese government bonds, looking to balance its current monetary policy against the sliding yen. In Europe, U.K. regulator Ofcom reportedly set to launch an antitrust investigation into Amazon and Microsoft over their dominance of the U.K.'s cloud computing market. Reuters says the details of that probe will be published in Ofcom's final report tomorrow with the goal of leveling the playing field and pushing for healthier market competition. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today. Also, as we head to break, CNBC is celebrating Hispanic heritage, sharing the stories of influential Hispanic business leaders with you. Here is City's head of investments for Latin America, Lissandro Chamlante. My Dominican roots have really shaped the person who I am today and have allowed me to bring the best of me and my culture to work. Being Latino can be your superpower. I believe it generates a diversity of thought and inclusion. My advice for Latinos is really to bring your full self to work, to allow yourself to not forget your raices, your roots, and actually maintain your sense of belonging to your community. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your WEX wrap-up. We begin with PIMCOCO founder Bill Gross telling CNBC last night he expects the 10-year to test 5% in the short term as the bond market enters oversold territory. Saudi Arabia announcing it will continue its voluntary cuts of 1 million barrels per day until the end of this year. Those comments coming ahead of a virtual OPEC Plus meeting today. Shares of Intel, they're rising after the company said it plans to spin off its programmable chip unit through an IPO in the next two to three years. Ford also making what it calls the seventh and strongest offer to striking UAW workers, promising no job losses related to EV battery production. Meta reportedly planning to lay off employees at its Metaverse Reality Labs division today. Reuters says impacted workers were informed of the potential layoffs yesterday with the official decisions due today. And Airbnb is planning to enter the longer-term housing rental market. Speaking with the Financial Times, CEO Brian Chesky says he sees huge opportunity in the one-year rental market and will launch uh, the biggest update for the company on record next month. All right, here's what to watch today. Several pieces of economic data out this morning, including weekly mortgage apps and ADP employment. Also, a very busy 10 o'clock hour with several Fed speeches, including Kansas City President Jeffrey Schmidt, Governor Michelle Bowman and Chicago President Austin Goolsbee. 
All right, that economic data, a key focus for investors today with the Dow now in the red for the year. We're also taking a look at Dow and S&P futures. You can see right here, uh, both of them turning just slightly positive uh, just a few moments ago. Let's tee up the trading day ahead with Keith Lerner, co-chief investment officer at Truist Advisory Services. Keith, good morning. It is great to see you. As well, it's nice to see a little bit of green for a change. Yeah, just a little bit right now. So, Keith, give us a sense. What do you expect in the day ahead? We're mentioning, you know, the rising bond yields, the long bond almost at 5 percent, the 10-year at 4.8 percent. What are you expecting today? Yeah, well, I think it's all about yield. So I'm um, really what we're looking for to see some stability. The other thing for the market, um, we're approaching that 200-day moving average on the S&P. We're at 42.29 on the S&P. That 200-day moving average is around 4,200. So really what you're looking for is just to see if, if we have a little bit of a movement from, from fear to a little bit of greed that people are looking, are looking at this pullback for some opportunities. So you're saying if we go from fear to greed, does that mean you see this potentially as a buying opportunity? And if so, are there certain sectors you would buy in right now? Yeah, you know, the way we're thinking about this, uh, Frank, we've been more, you know, at least since end of July, we've been expecting more of a correction in price and time, and we've gotten both of that. I, you know, I don't know that we've seen the low yet. I mean, in some ways, I'd actually like us to see, crack below that 200-day moving average to get a lot more fear. But the good news is we would be leaning in, and if you underweight equities relative to long-term targets, what we wrote last night is that we would lean, we would lean in and look at this as an opportunity because you've, you've seen you know, prices pull back pretty good. And it's more specific to your question as far as where we would focus, uh, two sectors I would highlight would be communication services. We've had a nice re, um, move back there you know, uh, okay. where, where a lot of AI plays and also the energy sector as well. All right, so that's what you wrote last night. Let's look ahead to the day today again with the futures for the Dow just moving into positive territory. The S&P kind of flat but just slightly higher right now. With all that in mind, what is your WEX word of the day? All right, Frank, the word of the day today is reset. Um, we've had a, a really, a really large reset across this markets as far as it's all about the 10 year. So 10 year has moved up very quickly. And because of that risk free rate has moved up and reset higher, we've seen a, a broad based reset across markets. You know, we can look at the S&P being down about 8 percent, but you know, small caps are down 15. The average stock is down double digits. Utilities and real estate are down 20. So we've seen a pretty good re uh, reset. And the other thing I will say, the reason why we're starting to get uh, actually a bit, bit more positive on a short-term basis is the percent of stocks in the S&P 500 is now the most oversold since last fall Got after it. being very overboard uh, in July. All right. So Keith, you gave us a sense of what you would buy into. Are there certain sectors you would just completely stay away from? Well, we would still stay away from the real estate sector, as an example. Even though it's down 20 percent, we've been underweight uh, all year. We think that's really interest rate sensitive. And even with small caps, we like small caps longer term, but they have a lot more floating rate debt. So these higher rates for longer impact them. So we would really continue to focus on the larger cap part of the market um, and some of the sectors that I mentioned before, like uh, energy and communications, where we see better relative value and momentum. All right, back to real estate. We were just showing the chart just a moment ago, down more than 11% year to date. So you're saying that you would stay away from buying right now. Would you also trim that position right now? Would you just cut the losses when it comes to that sector with the current bond and rate situation? Yeah, that's a harder question because we've been underweight telling people to avoid this. Now you're down 20% from the highs in a short period of time. So, you know, if, if I was in it today, um, you know, I'd be looking for an opportunity to reduce it on any type of, you know, kind of mean reversion bounce uh, in the market. All right, Keith Lerner from Truist, great to see you as always. Thank you very much. All right, we're going to take one quick Excellent. look at the futures right now. We're seeing the Dow just inch into positive territory while we're doing this show right now, up about 30 points. The S&P um, flat, it was kind of vacillating between higher and lower just a moment ago. That's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is coming up next. Thank you for watching.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 